I want to take you back for just a moment. Back to the early part of Colossians chapter 3 in our study there. We've been in Colossians for several months now and really enjoying the study there. I want you to think back with me to the early part of Colossians chapter 3 where we saw what it looked like for the believer to put on the new self. You know, the person who has new life in Christ, as we've seen in chapter 3, begins putting to death the earthly things that keep him from Christ-likeness. He or she works and works with the power of the Holy Spirit to put to death the impure, to put to death the sensual passions of the flesh, the things that are unchristlike. He, he or she works hard to put away anger and wrath and malice and slander and does so with the help of the Holy Spirit and does so not for God's approval as we noted in our time of communion but for God's glory. as one of God's chosen and holy and beloved ones, as seen as we begin in chapter chapter 3, verse 12, where it calls God's people that, as God's chosen and holy and beloved ones, the believer in the power and direction of the Holy Spirit brings into their life, and these things come to them by by the working of the Holy Spirit, uh, things like truthfulness, Things like compassion, things like kindness and humility and meekness and patience, those things that are not human traits, not natural human traits. The believer begins to allow the peace of Christ to rule in their life, which begins to bring them into harmony with God's people. And that means harmony in the life of the church and harmony in the Christian home. The peace of Christ begins to take root and impact the marriage relationship and the parent and child relationships and the worker and employer relationships. We see all of that in chapter 3. And all of this is for our good. All of this is for our joy. And all of this is especially for God's glory. So after all of that in chapter 3, where does Paul go next? Where does Paul go next with this letter to the Colossian believers? Well, he goes to the most important topic of prayer. I want you to look with me at Colossians chapter 4 and verse 2 this morning. Paul takes us to the most important aspect, the most important topic of prayer. You know, the practice of prayer, I say it's important because the practice of prayer should be at the very center of life for every believer. I want you to look with me at verse 2 in Colossians chapter 4 where it says, Paul challenges the Colossian believers, and this is God's word, this is our, our challenge today as well. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Now, this question I want to ask just to get you to think a little bit. I want you to think about this with me. Is prayer really that important? And I know that some of you are already agreeing. Yes, it is. Is prayer really that important? Does prayer really need to be at the center of every believer's life? 
Can't it just be one of the things that I do and not have to be at the very center of my life as a believer? Why do you say that, Pastor? That, that prayer should be at the center of our, of our life as a believer. What does God's Word say elsewhere? I want you to think with me about what God's Word says elsewhere about prayer. And we ought always be about this. When questions come to our minds, we ought always think, what does God's Word say? I want you to think with me about what God's Word says about the importance of prayer. Romans chapter 12, 12 reminds the believer to be constant in prayer. We're going to talk about that in a moment. To be constant in prayer. Ephesians 6.18 also reminds us that we are to be praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. In Luke chapter 18, verse 1, it says of Jesus that He told a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and to not lose heart. Philippians 4.6 reminds us not to be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 also reminds us that we are to, you know it, pray without ceasing. Right? And not only those commands for believers to pray, but also the example. We have the example, especially the example of Christ who prayed, even going away by Himself to pray. And God's Word instructs us to pray for those. Think about what the Scriptures say and who we're to pray for and what we're to pray for, for those in authority over us. We're to pray for those who minister the Gospel to us. We're to pray for the church. We're to pray for other believers. We're given the examples of prayer offered up for those who are our bosses, those who are our employers, those who are in charge of us and overseers. We're told in God's Word to pray for our fellow countrymen. We're to pray for our neighbors that they would be saved. We're to pray for the sick. We're to pray for those who persecute us, like it or not. And not, and not just that God would judge them, right? We're to pray for those who envy us. And we're to pray for those who forsake us and mistreat us. And we're to pray for those who even murmur against God. Is prayer so important that we're to put the practice of prayer at the very center of our lives? I say yes, and I believe God's Word says yes. The believer should, of all things, in his or her walk with Christ, be consistent and constant in prayer. There's this other issue that, that reminds us why we need prayer so desperately. We also need prayer because by it we yield to God who helps us overcome sin. You realize that you cannot overcome sin in your own power? You need the help of the Holy Spirit to help you overcome sin in your life. Wayne Mack writes, If we want to overcome sin in our lives, there can be no substitute for believing prayer. We absolutely must watch and pray, or we will succumb to temptation. Watchfulness and prayerfulness are necessary for victory. If only for that reason... Prayer should be at the very center of our lives as believers. 
But as I've just shared with you, there are many reasons for prayer being at the center of our lives as believers. But we come to Colossians chapter 4, verse 2, and we find that Paul puts the emphasis for the church at Colossae on their praying. And I want you to see here this morning three characteristics of their praying that ought to be evident in our praying also. This, the, this, these three characteristics of prayer that I want you to see that Paul challenges the Colossian believers to really ought to be true of our lives. Really ought to be true of all followers of Christ. So if you're taking notes this morning, the first characteristic of their praying was to be faithfulness. Faithfulness. Paul first tells the church at Colossae to continue steadfastly in prayer. That's faithfulness. The idea here is that they were to be persistent and constant in their prayers and to do so courageously because circumstances and situations would often put them in a state of fear, maybe a state of alarm, and to pray and to yield before God for His will to be done. They were to be steadfast in prayer. They were to be faithful in prayer. They were to be devoted to prayer. Does that characterize your life? I look at my own life and I often am reminded that my life is not characterized by a devotion to prayer. And how quickly we slide from prayer being at the center of our spiritual lives and our very daily living. Their praying was not to be some passing temporal inclination, but was to be something to which they devoted themselves wholeheartedly. And that's the challenge for us as well. We get the sense of the seriousness of prayer in 1 Peter 4.7 where it says, The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. And we're taught in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18, that we are to be praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Why do we need to be faithful in prayer? Why do we need to be self-controlled and sober-minded in prayer? Why do we need to keep alert and pray at all times over all things? One major reason for this is because of the deceitfulness of sin. You know, the deceitfulness of sin creeps slowly and quietly into our lives. Thomas Watson rightly notes about our propensity to sin. He says, Many love sin more than God. They are slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents. What is there in sin that any should love it? Sin is a debt. Forgive us our debts, says Matthew 6.12. Sin is a debt which binds over to the wrath of God. And will you love sin? Does any man love to be in debt? Sin is a disease, and will you love sin? Will any man hug a disease? Sin is a pollution. The apostle calls it filthiness, James 1.21. It is compared to leprosy and to, poison, uh, to the poison of asps. God's heart rises against sinners. Zechariah 11.18 shows God's impatience with sinners. 
Watson goes on to say, Sin is a hideous monster. Lust makes a man brutish. Malice makes him devilish. What is in sin to be loved? Shall we love deformity? Sin is an enemy. It is compared to a serpent. Sin has five sharp stings. Shame, guilt, horror, death, and damnation. Will a man love that which seeks his death? Surely then it is better to love God than sin. God will save you, but sin will damn you. Is he not a fool who loves damnation? But love to God will never let sin thrive in the heart. The love of God withers sin. The flower of love kills the weed of sin. How should we labor for that grace of love to God, which is the only corrosive to destroy sin? I challenge you that we must pray. Prayer opens the lines of communication between you and God. You don't want to live your days with closed lines of communication between you and God when you've got sin at the door tempting you. Prayer should always be a yielding to God and will will be a factor in our love for God. And when there is love in our hearts for God, there will be an expulsive effect on sin. When we have love for God, we will hate the sin in our lives and we'll want to rid ourselves of it. Prayer should always be a yielding to God. Prayer should always be a yielding to His will for us. And thus prayer helps us grow in our love for God. As Watson says, who who would want to keep sin around? Why would you want to keep and nurture sin? And so I contend that we must pray. We must keep the lines of communication open with our Heavenly Father asking for His help, yielding to Him in His work in us to expel sin from our lives. And in our growing, in our love for God, we learn to yield to God as He speaks to us through His Word. We must know the Word. We must claim the promises of God's Word and take them to Him in prayer, reminding ourselves, encouraging ourselves with what we know from His Word to be true, knowing His promises. And then the convicting presence of the Holy Spirit helps us hate the sin in our lives. And helps us put it to death as early in Colossians 3 it says we get rid of the old man. We put to death the things of the flesh and we put on the new man, Christ's likeness. We must pray. We must make prayer the very center of our lives. And we must grow in our love for God. And we must seek God's face and seek God's wisdom. And when we come to Him in prayer, we must yield to Him and what His purposes are for our lives. And when we grow in our love for God, we we also grow in in our hate for our own sin. And if we don't pray, we close the lines of communication between ourselves and God. We invite the tempter to come and tempt us We invite Him to encourage us to sin. 
we don't put up defensive forces to guard our hearts and minds against sin. And so we must pray. And we must be faithful in prayer. Faithfulness in prayer was to characterize the Colossian believers. Faithfulness in prayer ought to characterize our lives. Secondly, their praying was also to be characterized by discernment. Discernment. Paul says they were to be watchful in prayer. And the idea here is that they were to keep alert. Keep alert to the world that they lived in. Why be watchful and keep alert in prayer? Be watchful and keep alert for what? Well, because they lived in a world where there is a, and there is today, as there was then, a roaring lion stalking about, searching out those who would desire to live for Christ, seeking to destroy them and the church and their testimony for Christ. 1 Peter 5.8 says, Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. You see, then and now there is much in the world that your adversary, the devil, wishes to use to pull you down and to make you powerless and ineffective for the gospel of Christ if you aren't watchful and prayerful and discerning about the world that you live in. You see, God's warning from Paul's pen is that we are to be watchful and vigilant and careful about what, what keeps and holds our attention in this world because there's a lot of things in this world that could keep and hold our attention that are not worthy of our attention. You see, God's children, when careless and lackadaisical about the things that they allow into the eye gate and the ear gate of the heart, are particularly vulnerable to Satan's ploys. Here in Hebrews chapter 3 and verses 12 and 13, Hebrews speaks to this. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Sin is deceitful. And so we must be discerning toward prayer. You see, we look around and we say, that is not something I should look at. I better pray about this and ask God for His help in keeping my eyes away from that. That is not something I should listen to. So I'd better pray about that tendency for my ears to be enjoying those kinds of things or my eyes to be enjoying those kinds of things or my lip to be speaking these kinds of things and I need to pray about God helping me stay away from those things that would drag me into the sewer called sin. Believers must be discerning about the world that they live in making prayer their offensive weapon against the deceitfulness of Satan. Ephesians 4.22 says this, to put off your old self. Sounds like Colossians, doesn't it? Colossians 3. Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires. You see, discernment means that you and I are faithful to examine our own hearts and do do so in prayer before the Lord. Asking God to expose our own sinful desires with the pure light of His Word. 
And that's why it's so critical that you need God's Word in your life. So that the light, the pure light of His Word, will expose sin in your life. And help you realize how and what you need to get rid of. And prayer helps you ask for His help. And prayer helps you yield to His work and His Word and His Spirit. Putting on the new nature and killing the old sinful nature. Oh, how we need prayer. And we need to be faithful in prayer. And we need, we need discernment to pray. And the third characteristic of their praying would also guard their heart against the ploys of the devil. Their praying was also to be characterized by their thankfulness. And so must our praying be characterized by our thankfulness. One of the ways the believer guards his or her heart and mind from their adversary, the devil, is to be a thanksgiver. And the believer who is a thanksgiver goes beyond the thanksgiving season and carries with them throughout the year a heart of gratitude and thankfulness to God for all things. But some might say, but can we really be thanksgivers in all things? In everything? Can we really be thankful even in the midst of disappointments and difficulties? How do we remain thankful about those kinds of things? Am I being realistic to say that we are to be thankful in all things? That we are to be thanksgivers at all times? Well, what does God's Word say about it? Right? What does God's Word say about this? Listen to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Passage you know well, verses 16 through 18. Children's favorite Bible memory verses when you want to remember short verses. Verse 16, rejoice always. Right? How about verse 17? Pray without ceasing. And then verse 18, give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. But pastor, wait a minute, it's hard to be a thanksgiver in all things. I agree. (laughs) How do we do it then? What about when someone sins against me? What about when someone does something that's wrong toward me or harms me? What about when someone says something that's not true about me? How can I be thankful during something like that? Here's how. The believer that is a thanksgiver in all things must have a very firm grasp on the sovereignty of God. Jerry Bridges writes in his recent book, Respectable Sins, he says, we must always look to the sovereignty of God. God doesn't cause people to sin against us, but He does allow it, and it is always allowed for a purpose, most often our own growth in Christ-likeness. When Joseph was grievously sinned against by his own brothers and sold into slavery, he did not become bitter. Instead, he could say to his brothers, it was not you who sent me, but God. And Joseph said to his brothers, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. There's a young man who has a firm grasp on the sovereignty of God. Right? You see, what God allows, He intends for good. Certainly, there are those who don't intend things for good, right? But God allows it for good. 
And as Bridges points out later, the good may be an opportunity for us to grow in Christ's likeness or some opportunity for greater usefulness, or we may never know for sure what God could, uh, what good God brought out of a specific situation. We may never know this side of heaven what good God brought out of a specific situation that we seem to face with great difficulty. But where is your hope? Is it in man? No, your hope can't be in man. But it must be in God. And God's sovereignty. Can we be thanksgivers in all things? I think we can. Yes, we can. When we actively reflect on the great truth of God's sovereignty, does He know what's happening in my life right now? Absolutely, He does. Did He allow this difficulty to come my way? Certainly. So what good is He going to bring about when I obey Him and glorify Him in this situation? What good is He going to bring into my life? How is He going to grow me in Christ's likeness? What good is He going to bring in other people's lives? Will we see the good? Maybe we will, maybe we won't. But do we trust God? You see, the thanksgiving believer has a deep, Bible-rooted understanding that whatever comes their way, they can be thankful that God allowed it. Knowing that it is for their good and for God's glory. We need to know, too, that the thankful child of God pleases Him. You see, the prayer of, of gratitude is very pleasing to God. But, conversely, the ungrateful heart and the ungrateful prayer is not pleasing to God. Romans one twenty one makes it very clear that God does not honor those who are unthankful Verse 21 in Romans 1, For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. How could we, think about it this way with me, would you? How could we expect God to answer a prayer that is not offered with a heart of gratitude? Why would God want to answer an ungrateful child? Right? Think about a child that approaches a parent with a request that is whiny and complaining. Let me just give you a hint that a good parent does not honor such a request, right? Psalm 105, verse 1, gives us the picture of the attitude that should be evident in the life and praying of God's child. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon His name. Make known His deeds among the people's You see, the believer whose life is characterized by groaning and complaining should not expect a loving Heavenly Father to overlook that kind of an attitude that is ungrateful. What incentive to come with gratitude and thankfulness to God because He is a gracious and holy and loving God. That is why... As we gather together here on Wednesday evenings for prayer, we try to give almost always the first portion of our prayer time to praises so that we are sure to come to God with lips of thankfulness, voices who thank God, lives who say, this is what God is doing. Thank you, God. Sometimes we open the Word and say, this is how God has encouraged me. I praise God for this passage because this helps me. 
And so we give ourselves to praising God. And you ought to do that in your prayer lives. That You ought to begin your praying with thankfulness to God. Make sure you are a thanksgiving believer. And note that back in Colossians chapter 3, verse 15, we have this reminder. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. You see, that's what the peace of Christ begins to do. It helps you to realize that you can be thankful in all things, in all circumstances, in all situations. You can have the peace of Christ that rules your heart and helps you be a thanksgiver. Be faithful in prayer. Be discerning to pray. And be thankful in prayer. Prayer. Our gracious Heavenly Father gives to us the privilege of prayer. And our gracious Heavenly Father helps us to always continue steadfastly in prayer. Being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Father, we come before you this morning thankful, grateful that you have given us the privilege to talk to our God, our Creator, our Lord, our King, a sovereign and righteous and holy and upright God. We have the privilege to talk to you in prayer and to bear our souls, to bring to you our concerns, even weep before you when we don't know how to pray and you intercede on our behalf, to bring before you our praises, our requests, to pray for one another, to pray for this world in which we live, to pray for our neighbors, to pray for those who are unsaved, to pray for our co-workers, for those who even revile us and persecute us and those who do things to harm us, to pray for their being drawn to Christ. Father, help us to make prayer the very center of our lives as followers of You. Lord, help us to not neglect this precious privilege. Lord, help us to be faithful in prayer, consistent and constant. Lord, help us to bring everything before You in prayer. Help us to not go through our days mindlessly, but help us to address every issue we face, even if it's a short prayer, even a silent prayer, prayer under our breath to You to help us have wisdom to deal with a certain situation, to deal with a, a certain phone call, a conversation, dealing with a customer, dealing with someone in the workplace, dealing with a child, dealing with a student. Lord, help us to address everything in our lives to You in prayer. Lord, help us to be mindful of Your love toward us and giving us this special privilege. Help us to not neglect it. Lord, guard our hearts and minds through prayer. Help us to yield before You in prayer, asking for Your work in our hearts and minds, helping us to be shaped in Christ's likeness with the imprint of Your mind on our hearts and our minds. The imprint of Your Word, making an impression on us that we can't escape helping us expel sin from our lives, helping us hate sin in our lives as You hate sin in our lives. And so, Lord, I pray, help us to pray. Help us to grow in our love for You. 
Help us to grow in our surrender to You and Your work in our hearts and minds and lives for Your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.